We still do seven NUFC Matters show a week for free. But if you want to help support NUFC Matters, then there are a few ways of doing it. Hit the like button on each live broadcast and video. This helps the channel grow. Hit the subscribe button and select the all notifications bell so you don't miss a single show. If you want to help us financially, then you can join the channel using this button with the membership starting at $1.99 a month. Or you can drop us a donation in the chat using a super sticker. We're also looking for sponsors. If you'd like your brand advertised on the flies for the show and featured during the ad break, then email john at nufcmatters.com to arrange today. Hi, welcome along to NUFC Matters with me, Steve Wraith. It is uh, the Ben Jacob Show. Hi, Ben. How are you? Very well. How are you doing, Steve? All good, mate. Good to see you. And uh, first of all, uh, I just want to talk to you about the uh, the Champions League exit and the Champions League campaign in general. Uh, what you felt that Newcastle learned from it and, um, you know, the, the worthwhile experience for Newcastle moving forward. You know, should they be able to qualify for European competition again? Uh, at the end of this season or maybe next season. Um, but yeah, valuable lessons learned, I think, by Eddie Howe and the, and the players. Yeah, I think it was a strange campaign in many ways because Newcastle entered and found themselves in a pot that was always going to give them, in likelihood, a difficult group. Over time, if slash when they qualify for the Champions League, they'll find themselves in a higher pot and that will lead to more chance of getting out of the group. And I'm not really sure how to analyze it because they're out of Europe and that wasn't the aim and at times during the six games it felt like they stood a very realistic chance of getting out the group maybe even winning the group as well so when I analyze it I don't think the Milan game defined in the end whether or not Newcastle did or didn't go through even though of course PSG drew so if Newcastle had beaten Milan then they'd be in the knockout stages. And by losing to Milan, they have no European football. So the swings were big in that game and dramatic. But I think that Newcastle didn't go through ultimately because of the away game at PSG. And they were so harshly done by that one decision probably is the difference and the wrong decision, in my opinion, between them going through or not. But then if you go before that game, there were also pros and cons. So the victory over PSG was phenomenal and it should have set Newcastle up to at least finish second in the group, the home game at St. James's Park. That's what Newcastle are capable of. But I thought that they were very naive in the games against Dortmund. And I thought that they were very passive in the opening game in the draw with Milan. So to, for example, beat PSG at home comprehensively and be horribly unlucky 
not to beat them away from home as well. But then to draw nil-nil away at Milan and be very underdog-like, resilient, gritty, but park the bus. And I think they were overroared away from home in that first game. And then to lose to Milan at home in addition and to play as they did against a very good Dortmund, but lose at home, for example, to Dortmund, that's the naivety, that's the inexperience. Those were the ones that cost them. So I think on balance, there's positives, there's harshities, and there's naiveties that have all led to Newcastle not getting out of the group. Of course, you could add injuries to that as well, and that's a factor too. But overall, I think that it's a learning curve for Newcastle. And as has always been the case, if they can qualify again for the Champions League, which is the priority, they'll come back stronger. No one was expecting Newcastle to go and win the Champions League this season. More important than going far in the Champions League is actually continually qualifying for the Champions League. So nobody wants this scenario because ultimately club fans want both. But if you had to pick between not making out of the group and finishing again, in a Champions League place or getting out the group and getting to a semi-final or a final, but finishing sixth, seventh, eighth in the Premier League, it's obvious that strategically and financially speaking as well, the club want that consistency of qualifying for the Champions League. So hopefully what Newcastle now do is they use going out of the group as a motivation and that makes them even more determined to make sure that they do finish in a Champions League spot come the end of this season. I mean, just moving away from Newcastle for a moment, but yeah, I've never found it fair that a team that crashes out of the Champions League goes into the Europa. Um, you know, Newcastle could have done that if they'd finished third and it was in their hands until Milan got the second goal. But are you a fan of that? Because I always feel like that's rewarding a team for failure. But I also feel that it's 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 punishing punishing the teams that have got there under their own steam. And, you know, you, you've, you've done so well to get there. But then... You know, lo and behold, the big guns are there at the later stage of the competition and potentially could, you know, ruin your chance of winning a trophy. Yeah, I think that it's tweaked now slightly. So you have more throughout qualification and also now midway through the season, a playoff mentality. So a team in the Europa League can progress automatically or alternatively can come up against a Champions League side that's fallen and therefore it isn't as automatic or direct as it used to be. And the qualification is more convoluted as well. So that makes it a little bit more of a meritocracy compared to just catapulting Champions League sides that have fallen out of the Champions League into further European football. But of course, we shouldn't be naive about this. There's definitely a clear reason why it's done. And it's because the Europa League dines off having bigger, in inverted comma, teams falling. And you don't know, especially in a group of death like Newcastle's, who is going to finish in third place in the group. And we see time and time again, Manchester United, Barcelona in recent seasons falling from the Champions League to the Europa League. And that's good for numbers in TV. It's good for intrigue and buzz. And this is why it's done. It's not down to second chance of potentially winning the Europa League and qualifying again for the Champions League. It's down to the fact deep down that UEFA want their biggest teams to still have European competition. Because 
it's good for television and that allows for potentially one of the biggest teams in the world if they don't have a good Champions League campaign to still end up in the Europa League. If you kick them all out, then you don't have the Manchester United's, the Barcelona's in recent seasons dropping into the secondary European competition or the third competition if it's Europa League to UEFA Europa Conference League. And that's bad as far as FIFA's strategy, if you like, of engaging a global audience is concerned. So I think we need to be a little bit cynical as to why it happens. I'm not against it, but only because I'm aware from clubs how important the European income is. So if you just kick everyone out of Europe, if you don't succeed midway through the season, you deny those clubs potentially a string of other games. And that's income, television income, prize money, match day revenue as well. And because of football and where it's at, a lot of clubs need that money and security and guarantee. So it can help clubs be more sustainable because you start to understand that come what may, if you're a big club, you might get European football most seasons into March, into April, into May and June, if you end up winning something. And that can help financially. But I suppose, yeah, if we look at it in purely purest football terms, it does seem a little bit unfair. It does seem like it's a free pass to have a second opportunity. But I really do think it's down to the fact just that UEFA want that safety net to make sure that the bigger clubs are still on TV and playing some form of European football for as long as possible. Mm. I just want to talk to you a, a little bit about injuries. You mentioned injuries with Newcastle United, um, you know, hampering their progress potentially in the in the Champions League is part of the problem. But injuries across the board, um, Manchester United, you know, hampered by 13, 14 first team players being out. Uh, Middlesbrough in the Championship also having their problems with, with injuries. Fulham, mm. uh, uh, you know, as well. as There's lots of teams seeming to be missing key players. And, and I know this is part of the game, but we seem to be having more. Do you think anything this is, any of this is down to the rule changes we saw at the start of the season? Extra time being played in matches and stuff? Or um, is, it, is it just simply bad luck on behalf of those teams that seem to be suffering? I think it's a mixture, really. Congested fixture calendar. Yes, games are technically longer, but actually it's more a policing of time than more match action. So I think if you look at the match action, it will still be about the same. It's just the fact that substitutions happening are being policed to add that extra 30 seconds. So yes, technically games are longer, but I don't think there's a significant difference in the match action part. And even if there is, you're still only talking about 10 minutes, let's say, 15 minutes at a extreme. And if that is the case, how many of these players are really touching the ball so significantly more in those 15 minutes that they're pulling up, they're getting injured. And these injuries are happening as much in the 10th minute of the game as the 95th minute of a match. It's not like only injuries are coming in the last 10 minutes of a game because players are tired. So I don't think the time has got a massive amount to do with it. I think it's just modern football, congested fixture calendar. The fact that we've gone Winter World Cup, back half of the season was busy as a result. And then the new season comes along. And again, it's games, 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 because we're heading into a year where there's a Euros. We've had lots of international breaks, too many, in my opinion. 
and players are getting tired. And then, of course, you add to that the normal bad luck element. Games are competitive. You can always just get a knock that isn't anything to do with you playing too often. It's just being hit at a point when, unfortunately, you land awkwardly. Look at Nick Pope. That wasn't an injury that was down to fatigue or playing too often. He dislocates his shoulder. Unfortunately, it's severe enough that he's going to be out for quite some time. And that's just unfortunate. There's not much you can really do about that. And as you say, it's not just Newcastle. It's all manner of teams. Manchester United, Chelsea, for example, have got a long injury list as well. And I think modern football is just in a position now where we need to think long and hard about preventing injuries, not just treating injuries. And in basketball, there's clear minutes management. And you know in advance that if you've got a double header, may only play one of those games. And I think in football, there's a feeling of if your best players fit, nine times out of ten, if it's a big game, they'll play. But maybe clubs have to think more about being quite rigid with minutes. And if the science says that after a player plays 45 games a season, the chances of them picking up an injury in that calendar year, if they're playing 55 games or if they're playing more than two games within a seven-day period, are so significantly higher that even if they appear as fit as a fiddle, it's just not worth it. So then you're letting the science and the medical staff take away the selection headache and saying the player is just not eligible in the same way that under concussion protocol, you're taking the player out the game if they fail the concussion tests. You may have to say it's just too risky. You even trying to play this game, even if you feel perfect. But there's always going to be the pressure of needing to win, of wanting your best players. And my worry is if the injuries are all happening now in the back half of the season, there's going to be even more. Because if you are going to take that risk, if you are going to make a player play three games in a week, it's going to be at the back end of the season when the fixtures are even more significant. So the calendar is only going to get busier. We've got an expanded Club World Cup. We've got an expanded World Cup. We're heading into a Euros. So for a lot of European players, they're going to get an extremely busy festive period. They're going to get a business end of the season where they want to play in all these meaningful games. They're going to go straight into a Euros and then the season's going to come around again and there's no respite. So I do worry. I think with Newcastle specifically, there are a few key players at least quite close to a return now. Sven Botman, Harvey Barnes, Joe Willock. Luckily, all coming back into the fold and getting their match fitness back. But at the same time, we know, for example, that Anthony Gordon has had a hamstring problem. Kieran Trippier picked up a knock. He's had some back problems as well. Um, Nick Pope is a big blow, even though I, I Oh, unfortunately, we seem to have lost Ben. He is in a foreign country. So what we will do is we will play the ads. A big thanks to all our sponsors. Skips and bins. Telephone 0800 25 Email inquiries at skipsandbins.com. Website skipsandbins.com. Easy contract free and pay-as-you-go waste collection. Thanks again to Mr. Vicky Sources, handmade in Cumbria. If you'd like to order some, then give them a call on 01768. 
go to the website, mrvickies.co.uk, or drop them an email, info at mrvickies.co.uk. A big thanks to United Group Travel. They're a family firm based in Morpeth with pickups throughout the Northeast. No strangers on our tours, just people you haven't met yet. They've got a presence on Facebook and a website, unitedgrouptravel.com. If you want to make a booking, give them a call on 01670-632-460 or mobiles 0791-666-4174-0795-71-41654. Thanks to Darren Baldwin Funerals, independent funeral directors. Let us look after you in your time of need. They're based on Old Durham Road in Gateshead. And you can contact them at their website, darrenbaldwinfunerals.co.uk. Email darren at darrenbaldwinfunerals.co.uk. Or give them a call, 0191-478-2730. A big thanks to Media Arts for all the help with the technical side of things. And a big thanks to New Workwear. You can find them at newworkwear.com. If you want to help the channel, hit the thumb up to subscribe. Hit the subscribe button and share to your other social media. You can also pay a one-off fee of £25 to get a scarf, a cup, a pen, and a membership card. Go to the website, nufcmatters.com, and click membership, or put your smartphone over this QR code. We also support the food bank on this channel. If you want to make some donations virtually, go to nufcfansfoodbank.co.uk and make a donation today. We're also a podcast on Spotify, iTunes, and other podcast providers. Just search NUFC Matters. I'm also a part of the Northeast Footy Brecky Show. You can listen to that Monday to Friday, 7 or 9, at thetooneuk.com. We've also got an event coming up next year. It's in January the 19th at the Tyneside Irish Centre. It's an evening with Nobby Solano. Tickets are available on Woucher for £20. Don't forget, Supermac and Gibbo do every pre-match at Louis Liquor Store. It's free entry, children welcome, and there is great food by Fed's Fried Chicken. They're usually on pre-match and sometimes post-match at Louis Liquor Store. Okay, welcome back. Uh, just an in drop out at Ben's end uh, with them being uh, in Saudi. Um, yeah, we were just talking about injuries, and um, with this being a pre-recorded show, uh, I just uh, took the, uh, the liberty of checking a, a couple of things out. And Harvey Barnes, um, it's just been announced by Craig Hope, has had a setback in his recovery, and he won't be available now till January. Mm. Craig Hope from the Daily Mail break and that story, Ben. So that's another setback for a player that you know well. Yeah, and Newcastle could use that depth and those goals as well. I think that the beauty of the 4-3-3, we've spoken about this before, is that Anthony Gordon's been very important for Newcastle. He's obviously had problems with injuries as well, though. And then you've got Miguel Almiron, who's not quite hit the heights of the beginning of last season, post-World Cup. And I think that there's an argument that if the goals don't come with the same regularity as in that first half of last season, 
that Eddie Howe might want another option there. But Joe Linton can play in that 4-3-3. You've obviously got Isaac and Callum Wilson as central options as well. But with Barnes, if the setback takes him into January, and with Gordon, as I say, with hamstring issue, and with Wilson, who's always a bit unpredictable, and Isaac has obviously not been totally fit as well since he's joined Newcastle. So a forward, whether it's a wide forward, whether it's a winger, or whether it's a versatile, creative-minded player that can play centrally, that can drop deeper, or can go in a wide position. Anyone that can add goals is going to be important for Eddie Howe. And that's why I think that depth in January will be what Newcastle are looking for. But they aren't going to be able to do anything crazy. So loans may be the option potentially with something that allows them to complete a purchase, an option to buy or an obligation. But Newcastle are quite restricted. And when you're competing against the big teams that have got more depth and you don't have the finances to immediately add that depth, then there is always a danger that you take one step forwards, two steps back. And this is why it's so important that Newcastle do qualify again for the Champions League, because financially speaking, they'll then be able to have another summer where then they can spend more and stabilise. And the more you spend, the more you build, the more you stabilise, the more depth you get, the more chance you get of qualifying for the Champions League season on season. So it's a really important second half of the season for Newcastle at the moment, because the project, even though it moved faster than expected to get Champions League last season, is going to take a step back if they end up 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th, in the table. And right now, there's just starting to be a little bit of a gap. Now, naturally, people will say, well, fifth place is very likely to get Champions League football. But even fifth place at the time of recording, Spurs are on 30 and Newcastle are on 26. I know this is a pre-record, so we won't know, for example, how Spurs get on at Nottingham Forest at this point. But if you get another swing, like the swing that saw Spurs beat Newcastle, if you get another swing where Spurs win again, then they're 33, Man City are 33, Villa are 35, I think Arsenal are 36, Liverpool are 37. If Newcastle are in a position where they lose their next game, then the gap starts to get a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. And you start to think, yikes, it's not that likely we're going to make this up in the second half of the season. So this is a pivotal swing all of a sudden. It's vital, I think, that Newcastle beat Fulham at home. It's really important suddenly because they're out of Europe that they go away at Chelsea and try and stay in the EFL Cup. That will calm things. That will put them in a semi-final. And this is like a, such an important run between now and Boxing Day because Newcastle have got, even with the injuries, even with teams that may spend more in January, before that window even opens, they've got such a key period because, as I say, it's Fulham at home. They need to win that game. But Fulham are scoring goals and in good form. Away at Luton, they should win that game on paper. Home to Nottingham Forest, they should win that game on paper. And then obviously Chelsea in the AFL Cup, a chance to get to a semi-final and show with regularity that they can get to the business end of domestic cup competitions. So between now and 26th of December, I think sets Newcastle up and defines their season because we're either going to get to Boxing Day or just after Boxing Day and Newcastle are going to have beaten Fulham, beaten Luton, beaten Forest, still be in the EFL Cup. Or they're going to have done a win-lose draw in the league or something like that, 
and potentially gone out of the EFL Cup. And then heading into that away game on January the 1st against Liverpool, it's going to feel like they're playing potentially the league leaders. They're not the favourites. They're seven, eight, nine, ten points off top four or top five. And they're out of the League Cup. And that, I think, is when the fan base are going to start wondering, where are we heading? Are we just mid-table mediocrity? Have other sides moved ahead of us? And at that point, the window opens and Newcastle can't really spend. So to calm things, I think this period right now, Fulham, Chelsea in the Cup, Luton away, home to Forest, is really going to be season-defining for Newcastle United. Mm, yeah, there's there's no doubt about it. Big set of fixtures coming up for Newcastle, um, as well. You know the, the the festive period, despite us going out of the Champions League, um, you know, Newcastle have got the um the, the, the fixtures such as um Chelsea away, obviously, uh, Tuesday night in the uh, in the Carabao Cup. Uh, they've got Luton, as you've already mentioned, Nottingham Forest on Boxing Day. They've got uh, Liverpool away on uh, New Year's Day, Sunderland in the cup on the 6th of January away, and then Manchester City, followed by Aston Villa, uh, home and away. Uh, some some cracking fixtures, but uh, coming thick and fast and furious with uh, Newcastle uh, struggling, as it is for personnel. The FA Cup game, Ben, great that, isn't it? Great for the area. Easy win for Newcastle as well. So, great oh. game, and through to the fourth round of the FA Cup. Uh, no, I mean, it's away, obviously, at Sunderland. It's a great game for the area. And it will be anything but routine. So jokes aside, it's another pressure game. I think it's a great game for the fans, but I actually don't think it's a great game for Eddie Howe in a weird way. I mean, Sunderland are doing pretty good in the championship. They're in the playoffs at the time of recording. It's the kind of league, of course, where if they lose at the weekend, they'll probably drop down to about 10th or 11th. And if they win, they'll find themselves fourth or fifth in the table. So it's fine margins, but... They're doing pretty well, Sunderland. I'd love to see them back up in the Premier League. I think a lot of Newcastle fans want these derbies, despite the rivalry, because, as you say, they're great games for the regions. So I think it'll be a cracking game. But the only person that probably doesn't want the game, even though in the build-up he'll say he wants the game, uh, is Eddie Howe. I think privately Howe thinks this is the worst possible game. Uh, away at Sunderland in a derby... Um, he can't win because January the 1st, it's away at Liverpool. you got to play your strongest team. FA Cup third round where traditionally you chop and change, but you're away at Sunderland. You can't lose that derby. you got to play your strongest team. Straight after that FA Cup, even though I think there's like a seven-day break, uh, it's home to Manchester City. Got to play your strongest team. January the 30th, uh, away at Villa. Uh, got to play your strongest team. So it's the worst imaginable January for Eddie Howe because every single one of those games in January is absolutely massive. And especially if Howe doesn't get the points that I've just outlined before January the 1st, if Newcastle lose away at Liverpool, they're not the favourites in that game. If they don't win the derby, if they don't beat Man City, they're not the favourites in that game. And if they don't beat Aston Villa, who they thrashed on the opening game of the season, then by February the 3rd, home to Luton, there's genuine pressure on Eddie Howe. So it is such a pivotal time. And I think that because of the volume of fixtures over the festive period, 
the players, I think, will relish that derby. The fans will relish that derby. The wider media will relish that derby. The football purist will relish that derby. It's fantastic for the area. It's great for Sunderland. But it's not an easy game for Newcastle. And I think if Eddie Howe, hand on heart, was honest, I, I think he would like a home non-league draw in the FA Cup third round to progress where he could chop and change and give some of his players a rest. Yeah. Does this put Eddie Howe under pressure? I've seen, you know, we've seen reports on on social media that, you know, that you know, uh, there's potential uh, for 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 a managerial change if things didn't go well for Newcastle. I mean, it's obvious that, isn't it? But I mean, I think he's earned. I think he's earned a period of grace, Ben. I think you know, with the with the way that he's performed over the last two years, I think he's you know, if if everything went pear shaped and we lost, um, we lost ground in the Premiership, finished outside the European places. And didn't didn't progress or you know and win a, a cup this season. I think Eddie Howe would be given a chance. Um, I think I don't think the owners would 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 get rid of him that quickly. Um, yes, people would be disappointed, but there would be an emphasis on succeeding next year. Everybody knows that any team that goes into the European competition in the first year, there there's a drop off in the league. Um, What's your thoughts on this? And I mean, the horrendous injury list is not something that you can lay at Eddie Howe's door. He's he can only work with what he's got, and we're still we're still hampered by FFP. So, what's 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 your views on on Eddie Howe's position if if we do have a bad Christmas and a bad January? Well, it's a test of the ownership, particularly. I would have thought the PIF side and how cutthroat they are. They've never had this challenge. They've had the opposite challenge where. Newcastle were doom and gloom and finally the takeover went through and how lifted everything and he got Newcastle out of trouble and then immediately the following season got them into Champions League. So they've never had this step back. They've had to dice with relegation and then they've jumped so fast to Champions League football that they've never been in a position where Howe's future has been discussed, considered, questioned and naturally if you're judging Newcastle United, not by Villa standards, Brighton standards, Tottenham standards either. If you're saying Newcastle United expect Champions League football, then they're a little bit off it. But I don't think that that's the aim at the club. I think that's the football goal in an ideal world. But I think there's a clear understanding that Chelsea are still potentially going to come back. Manchester United are going to come back. And that's the irony that these are teams that are not playing oh looks like we're losing ben again hopefully he will be back um okay uh no ben at this moment in time so i will hold the fort until he gets back in took him about two minutes uh, to get back in yeah that setback to harvey barnes is, is is a nightmare and uh it looks as well um as we're talking to joe willick um is is now going to be out of january another setback another injection in his achilles ben's back the internet, everybody. Yes, no. that they need to improve. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, again, as we're doing this as a pre-record, um, this will be slightly old news to people watching the show. But uh, Joe Willock now out till till January as well. Um, another blow for, for for Eddie Howe. Um, the transfer market. Let's look at that, Ben, for the last twenty minutes or so. And mm -hmm. I've got a few questions that have come in from people. Tom Dixon was first in. He said, given the restraints of financial fair play. Will Newcastle have funds to spend in January transfer window? And if they do, how much do you think would be available to buy new players? You were already touched on the fact that lo the loan market might be Newcastle's best mm -hmm. best bet. 
I think they'll try and structure things with a loan or loan with obligation or option to buy so they can push a lot of their outlays to the summer. I don't see them doing big business in January. I don't think January will be particularly busy for anybody beyond teams with real need and urgency coupled with finances. And there's not that many in that sort of position. Arsenal spent big in the summer. They may want one or two, nothing crazy. Chelsea will have a sort of almost one in one out policy whereby, yes, they may spend big. They might sign two or three, but they'll also have to focus on outgoings as well. Manchester United could have a few outgoings, maybe one or two incomings. But I don't think we're going to see a crazy January in the Premier League. And even away from the Premier League, the Saudi side who changed the market and allowed clubs to move more freely by giving them deals that were quite beneficial, not always in terms of fee, but even if the fee was smaller, the payment terms were very beneficial. So that allowed clubs to move in the market. But even the Saudi clubs, when I speak to them out here, most of them say their quotas are full for foreigners. They're not expecting a big January either. So it's going to be hard for Newcastle to move. There's always a bit of freedom. But if you buy now, it might mean that there's less freedom in the summer or next January or next summer. So it's a balancing act, really. And I still expect Newcastle to be relatively conservative. There's no high value outgoings I see in the Newcastle squad that could suddenly create budget. So if they want incomings, they're going to have to be economical or they're going to have to structure those deals in a way that stay within financial fair play. And that's why I think the loan market will be the way that they go. I also think there's a lot of trust even with the injuries in players. So in the same way that Lewis Miley's got an opportunity, in the same way that Elliot Anderson, when he's fit, has got opportunities in the same way that Botman got injured, Lascelles got an opportunity in the same way that Byrne got moved, obviously not recently, but to left back, even though he can play centre-back. And then when there were injuries, he got a game at centre-back in the same way that Lewis Hall or Tino Livramento have got chances. It's pretty obvious that how trusts 25, 26 players, even some that potentially can come up from the under-21s into the first team if needed. Pope gets injured. It's clear that... De oh, internet issues again with uh, Ben. I'll try something new here. You can pause the broadcast and then come back in. So I'll give this... Yeah, apologies about that. Ben's, as he's already said, is is, is in Saudi. But yeah, you were talking about transfers. And, and, and one, of, one of our questions that came in from Paul, he said, do you think Newcastle would push the envelope regarding financial fair play? He says, not saying go crazy, but spend hundreds of millions, uh, but spend a little more than we know is our limit and worry about the consequences later. I don't think there's any chance of Newcastle doing that, Ben. Did you get that, Ben? No, cut off. Hang on one sec. What I'm going to do is I'm going to unplug the hard wire, uh, which is supposed to be the quick internet, and I'm going to switch to Wi-Fi and see whether that gives okay. us the next 15 minutes at least. Okay. Okay, apologies for that. A uh, couple of internet issues, so we paused the broadcast. We're back again now. Uh, so, Ben, yeah, the you know the, the, the transfer situation in Newcastle is, is going to be key with the news that obviously Willock and Barnes are both you know both going to be long longer term than we expected. Uh, another question that came in from Kurt Warburton was, do we need a number nine? I mean, it looks like we need more than a number nine going into January. 
they need goals, that's for sure. But in some games, they score so freely that you think what they have is fine. And in that 4-3-3, Isaac Wilson, if they're there and fit, then if a number nine comes in, what kind of game time are they going to get? And that will be a consideration for a player. And if you're going to bring in a number nine, a young number nine doesn't help because it doesn't fix a short-term problem. And an older number nine wants game time. So it's kind of catch-22, in my opinion, because Isaac and Wilson, if fit and playing, are your number nine. And then other goals, Gordon, if fit, can chip in. Barnes, when fit, but it's January now, we understand. He got double figures in the Premier League last season for Leicester. He can chip in. Joe Linton can play in the front three. Uh, Miguel Almiron was scoring every single game in the first half of last season. So on paper, there's goals. So I think the answer to whether Newcastle need a number nine is whether they have the finances, the squad dynamic and the squad space to find the right fit and whether that number nine is really going to do anything now. And to do something now, you need to be a bit more established than maybe some of the names that they're looking at. I think Garrisey is a very interesting target because he is someone that's scoring goals at the moment and could drop straight into the Premier League. But I'm told he won't move mid-season. And if he did be tempted, he would want to know that, again, the game time would be regular. So Newcastle is a strange one because when everyone's fit, I still argue the starting eleven takes care of itself. And we spoke about this off-season, how there are a few areas that maybe you want to strengthen left-back and creative-minded midfielder. And they brought in Barnes, they brought in Lewis Hall, they brought in Tino Livramento, job done. So it's quite difficult because where is the scope for improvement? You bring in a goalkeeper if that was the choice, but when Pope comes, he's playing. You bring in a right back and when Trippier's fit, he's playing, which means that Livramento needs to switch sides or Trippier needs to switch sides or no one's getting a game time at right back other than Trippier. Botman walks into that side and as a result it's very difficult for any new centre-back to come in and fight for a spot. I know that ultimately LaSalle, Cher, they could eventually be replaced but plenty of centre-backs when everyone's fit. Left-back Lewis Hall's already come in and as I've already said you can move Trippier that side, technically you can move Livramento that side and you've got Dan Byrne and Dan Byrne is also centre-back cover. Midfield is only a three so there's a lot of players that can drop even from a front three back into midfield. Joe Linton's a good example. He can play in the midfield three or the front three. You've got ultimately Lewis Miley, Elliot Anderson, Sean Longstaff, who's been so important for Newcastle. You've got Bruno Gimarej. Lots of players that can all slot into that type of system. And because you've signed Tonali, when he's back from the ban, he's there as well. So if anyone joins in January and they're a central midfielder, even Calvin Phillips on loan, they're wondering whether in that system as a central midfielder, they're going to get that much game time. It's different if you play two deep lying central midfielders, there's two spots up for grabs. But how likes a wide 4-3-3 so he can play on the counter attack as well and that isn't for Calvin Phillips necessarily. Uh, Bruno Guimaraes is going to be the central midfielder there. Where's the space for Calvin Phillips? If, again, everybody is fit. And once again... We've still got you, Ben. Did it drop? We've still got you, yeah. 
Calvin Phillips you were talking about and um, obviously potentially would he be any good for Newcastle? You're still there, Ben. We can still see you. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like Ben can see us. Frustrating for him in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I think we're going to have to call it a day today, folks. We managed to get 40 minutes out of Ben, which is fantastic. Uh, but for now, uh, we will say goodbye uh, to Ben and uh, we will welcome back on the show when he has got uh, some internet. Uh, there he is again. I was just about to say goodbye, Ben, because uh, I, think, <laughs> but I think from your perspective, you're, 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 fighting, you're fighting against the impossible here. You're, certainly issues with StreamYard. Quick one on De Gea, if we can get it in before you disappear again. Mm. De Gea has been linked with Newcastle. Do you think that is a potential... Uh, a potential short-term move for Newcastle with the goalkeeper crisis that they've got on. It would be good for the player and it would be good for him if they can come to a deal on the wages. Yeah, not as far as I'm told. The wages is an issue, although he was going to take a pay cut at Manchester United if he was to stay there. Free agent, so no fee. But again, if he comes, he wants to play. And Newcastle want to try Dubravka first. And they're lucky in the sense that they can't bring in a goalkeeper till January. And therefore, they're going to wait even with free agents and stuff, they want to wait until January and give Dubravka the game time. So I think for now, they're happy. They've got Dubravka, who Howe didn't really want to leave for Manchester United when he had that brief and ill-fated loan spell. And De Gea might seem like the right fit, but you'd have to break your wage structure. Remember, nobody at Newcastle is on anything close to someone at Manchester United. Uh, De Gea left Manchester United, I think, on about 325000 a week. So he would probably have to go down to hundred k or less. Because remember, you don't want to make him the best-paid player at the club and then find that Nick Pope comes back and definitely becomes the number one again. And then De Gea mm -hmm. is the number two. So unless you persuade De Gea on slightly higher wages to just sign a six-month contract... And then you shake hands and go your separate ways at the end of the season. It doesn't make much sense. And if Dubravka plays well, I genuinely think that Eddie Howe will continue with him between the sticks. So no real approach yet to De Gea. But naturally, if Newcastle become unhappy with Dubravka or he gets injured, then they might be forced to go in that kind of direction. Ben, we're going to leave it there whilst we're ahead. Uh, good luck, mate, in there, Saudi. Hope it goes well. And we look forward to having you back on when you're back on terra firma, mate. We'll get you back, we'll get you back on before Christmas. Take care, mate.